Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to another edition of Cork Today, we've got John Paul and we've got Sadie. They're both taking your calls. If there's anything you want to share with us, anything you want to get off your chest, feel free to give us a call at 1850 You can text and WhatsApp as well to 0862103103. During the course of the programme today, we'll keep an eye on what's coming out from America as America decides and their election to elect their next president is still underway. Joe Biden declared that his race for the White House was very much alive last night. That was after a number of key battles appeared to swing his way. He struck a very confident tone. He gave a speech yesterday evening in Delaware telling his supporters it's clear we are winning enough states to reach the 270 electoral votes. That's the magic number that either he or Donald Trump has to to reach. Now, Joe Biden stopped short of declaring victory as his rival Donald Trump had done earlier yesterday. He insisted that when the count is finished, he said, Joe Biden said, we believe we will be the winners. With votes still being counted in the crucial swing states in a remarkably close election. I I don't know if there's ever been an election in the states that's been so close. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden appeared to have the clear path to victory. But you still can't call it because the result still hung in the balance as Donald Trump launched a raft of legal challenges, meaning it could be days before a winner is finally announced. Now, critically, Wisconsin was called for Joe Biden last night, meaning that if he converts the leads he held in three battleground states, which would be Arizona, Michigan and Nevada, if he turned those into victories, then he would be elected uh, America's 46th president. But again, it's in all three, Arizona, uh, Michigan and certainly in Nevada, it is too close to call that Joe Biden is actually going to get ahead there. Now, last night, no guarantee with Donald Trump still uh, also in with the hope of victory if he won Arizona. He would also then, of course, need to hold Georgia, North Carolina and Pennsylvania. They are are also three states that he won back in 2016, so it's not to say that he still can't win it. Now, we will get an update later on this morning on what is happening stateside because we have heard that they are continuing to count. It's the middle of the night, obviously, in America, but they have, at most of the count centres, they have decided to continue to count through the night. 
must all be absolutely exhausted but I think at this stage people just want to know one way or the other what way is it going to go and I think from an Irish point of view certainly Joe Biden would be with his Irish ancestral roots would be more of a friend to Ireland I think than Donald Trump has been or will be into the future so I suppose when we're looking at it from an Irish point of view I think we're all kind of rooting and hoping that it is Joe Biden will get over the line. Now are you waiting on a flu jab? We have been discussing the flu vaccinations for quite some time on the programme. I mean initially we were out telling everybody please everybody get a flu jab this year. Then we had to roll back on that because we suddenly found out that there wasn't going to be enough flu jabs for everyone that wanted one, everyone that needs one. The HSC Department of Health are constantly saying if you're in the at-risk group and the list, a very extensive list by the HSC and you are entitled to a flu jab and a free flu jab, you will get it this year. There may just be a little bit of a wait and there has been a wait so far. I mean, we certainly on this programme have heard from people who would say by the start of November every year, traditionally they would have their flu jab at this stage. But of course, they're on to their doctors. Their doctors are saying you need to hold off. We're waiting on the supplies to come in. But you're on the list. As soon as they come in, you will get them. So I was delighted to hear that another 400,000 doses of the flu vaccine for adults has arrived uh, in the country and it will now be distributed to GPs and to uh, pharmacies. And that was confirmed by the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly yesterday. Many people are still on a waiting list for the vaccine. And as we heard from Dr. Mike Thompson when he spoke to us earlier in the week, Dr. Mike is in Middleton and he remember he had set up the drive through flu vaccine clinic, but unfortunately forced to close it because of delays in receiving vaccine stocks. When he was talking about waiting lists, he said they have waiting lists for waiting lists. They are so waiting for the va- so um, just waiting on the vaccines to arrive. So anyway, they've arrived into the country so they're now going to be distributed to all of the doctors and to the pharmacies around the country and of course they were delayed due to manufacturing uh, difficulties. There's also an abundance of the nasal spray vaccine, that's for the children under the age of 12, that's a free flu vaccine uh, as well. 300,000 has been delivered and a further 300,000 are due. I don't think that there's any hold up for anybody who has a child under the age of 12 if you want them to get the flu vaccine. I don't think there's any waiting list. I think most GP practices and I'm assuming the do the pharmacies are the pharmacies doing the children as well or do you have to go to your GP? But I don't think there's a waiting list there if you have young children that you want to get that. It's a nasal spray rather than a, an injection go along to your GP practice uh, there. But also I was reading in the Echo today that some Cork GPs are highlighting a shortage of a vaccine that's aimed at tackling pneumonia. Now it's a, it, this is separate to the flu vaccine. It's a separate vaccine that's it's it's for all the pneumonia infections. And I know one Bantry GP, Dr Paula Sullivan, he said the shortage of this particular vaccine is becoming an issue along with, they're already battling with the shortage of the flu vaccines. And he said some of his colleagues have been told that there won't be a supply of the pneumonia vaccine until January. So that is certainly a little bit of a worry. But the HSE, uh, once again in that article in the Echo, confirming that they have ordered sufficient flu vaccines vaccines and that there will be enough but it's just waiting on them to arrive in the 
country, then distributing them around to the doctors and to the pharmacies. And then the GPs and the pharmacies have to get on to the people that are on the waiting list. So hopefully if you have already contacted your doctor or your pharmacy and you're on a waiting list, you should be getting a call. I imagine in maybe the next day or two to say that the vaccines are in because they will distribute that's 400,000 doses have arrived. They will be distributing them around the country. And Tim contacted us actually when we were talking about the flu vaccine and the need to get flu vaccine and it is so important particularly if you're in one of the at-risk groups and remember if you're in the at-risk group and you're on that list from the HSC the the vaccine is free so please go ahead and get it. But Tim contacted us to say I don't think people realise just how dangerous the flu can be. My youngest brother passed away in January of last year after a very short illness and it turned out to be a variation of the H1N1 swine flu. He was healthy, he didn't have any underlying conditions and he was just 32 years of age and Tim saying that the flu can be fatal for all uh, ages and I suppose all of the focus this year for very obvious reasons has gone on to coronavirus but we mustn't forget that the flu can and does kill uh, people and sympathies Tim to you and to your family on the death of 32 year old man from flu what a young young man Uh, may your brother rest in peace we were talking about wool and knitting and uh, I'd read out earlier on in the week I'd read out that piece that had been I think it is in Saturday's Irish Examiner of the the woman the pensioner in Shume who was bemoaning the fact that she couldn't get her wool in Aldi anymore because the middle aisle or the bargains on the middle aisle have been taken out and it's deemed non-essential and she felt that that's the one thing that keeps her going and she's been basically cocooning since uh, March she's been in lockdown but the one thing that keeps her sane was her knitting and her crocheting and that she was she gets out twice a month to do her shopping and she always stocks up on her wool and she wasn't able to get the wool and I thought the last line in the letter was uh, that she was feeling herself uh, was she also now deemed non-essential and it was just heartbreaking but that then led to a wider discussion on the amount of people that have been using knitting and getting arty doing arts and crafts things things, and how that managed to get people through the first lockdown and it's also managing to get people through the second lockdown and people were talking about other places where you could get wool well Breather has been on to say to anybody in the West Cork area if you're looking for wool or you're having a problem getting wool there's plenty of wool available in Drina Co-op in Skibbereen and it's always good we're always prom- promoting keep local and shop local so if you're around Drina Co-op in Skibbereen Breather said they plenty great selection of of wool on, stage, uh, on sale. Thank you for that, Breather. And when I mentioned, I was talking about the presidential election that's going on in the States and we will have an update after 11 as to what's going on in the latest and if there's any breaking stories since we have come on air. Alice on our Twitter to at C103 Cork said she was watching CNN last night and the anchor was talking about the people that were counting the votes in all of the count centres across America and the fact that they are volunteering. Alice says, are we, are we missing a major cost saving issue here at election time would anyone here in Cork volunteer if they stopped the count centres pay some take holidays from the regular state jobs. Alice is wondering, will people volunteer to count here? And God knows, Alice, every time we have an election in this country, if it's local elections, a general election, or the European elections or a referendum, 
whenever it comes to the people that work inside in the polling stations when you go to cast your vote and then when it comes to the day of the count we constantly hear complaints from people saying how do you get those jobs they're well paid jobs and people are always really annoyed when they go into the count centre and see that it is people in the main civil servants people who uh, a lot of them work for the council and then they go in and they get these jobs and they get paid separately for it and it always annoys people and I actually Alice I was watching CNN I couldn't believe when I heard the anchor, I think it was Chris Como say about the people who were counting because all of the count centres now are live streaming. There's cameras on all of these people and that's to make sure that there's no type of fraud going on that everyone can see that the counting is above board and Chris Como was making, the presenter of CNN was making the point and I was taken back like Alice to hear that all of these people that are in doing the counting are volunteers. None of them get paid for it. They're all giving up their own time. If they work, they're giving up a day's work to come in and count and then they had agreed to stay on last night and and they are, as we speak, in the middle of the night work continue to work through the count centres and none of them are getting paid. I was I was really taken aback uh, by that. So that's true volunteering, I can tell you. I don't know, would it work here in this in this country? I, there probably would be very civic-minded people, Alice, who would come forward and would volunteer to go into the count centres and count without getting paid. I'd, I'd, I would welcome your thoughts and comments on that, 1850-333-103. And another thing that we touched on again yesterday, the topic of mass came up. And people once again bemoaning the fact that they can't go to a mass and people still very upset about missing out on mass. And while some people are very happy with the fact that it's streamed online and for people who are nervous about going into churches for fear that they might pick up COVID-19, they're very happy to sit at home and either watch it online or watch it on the TV. But I think it was was it Tim Lombard, Senator Tim Lombard was saying that he when he joined us yesterday about the gun clubs and the fact that the shooting season has been put off because of level five. Uh, He mentioned that he's going to be raising it in the Senate. He's going to be raising it about masses because he's obviously hearing it from his constituents as well. And a listener from Ballancolic has emailed Patricia at c103.ie to say at a very minimum could we not even have mass on a weekday? There are very small numbers of regular mass goers. The people that go to mass on a regular basis, they know the routine. They're fully compliant when it comes to social distancing. They're fully compliant when it comes to the cleaning regimes and hand hygiene, hygiene etc. Please, can we have our masses back? And that's from a listener in Balancholic because the churches are open uh, every, I think they're open every day. I don't know what the time, and I, I assume that the time schedule varies from church to church. They are open for private prayer. But here's somebody suggesting if you don't want a big flood of people going to Mass on a Sunday morning, then instead, could you not have a couple of weekday Masses, like maybe have a Mass on Monday, Wednesday and Friday in one church. Maybe another church would have it Tuesday and a Thursday because this listener reckons the numbers wouldn't be huge that would be available and would want to go to Mass during the week. But for the regular Mass goers who are really missing Mass. And remember, in the midst of all of those regular Mass goers, there are people who had been daily communicants up to the start of the pandemic and people who went to Mass every single uh, morning. And for them, there's a it's a, a big a big hole in their lives that they're not able to do that but people still very much missing the church and very much missing going to Mass on a Sunday it's just it's one of those 
with all of the other, you know, various things that have closed down, you know, people moan about that they'd love to go to the gym or the gun clubs who were talking yesterday. We've heard golfers talking about how they're missing their golf, but there are there are also a cohort of people and for many of the regular mass goers, they're older people and they are really missing that opportunity to go to mass. So we'll keep a close eye, as I say. Senator Tim Lombard says he's going to raise it again as an issue. So we'll keep an eye. There doesn't seem to be any move on changing that. I mean, since Level 5 has come in, the only real change we've had was the numbers that can attend the funerals. That was the only one really that changed. Remember initially for level five they said only 10 people could attend a funeral but then so many people pointed out you can have 25 at a wedding and you can only have 10 at a funeral so they raised that number to 25 but they haven't rolled back on anything else. I mean I thought when the big push went for the clothes when we suddenly realised inside in department stores and the largest supermarkets that sell clothes when suddenly we they were told sorry no they're non-essential and I could see the fairness of it if a small boutique and a small children's clothes shop had to close down then it seemed very unfair that the larger larger stores supermarkets that were open that they should be allowed to sell clothes and there was a big push both certainly on social media and I imagine all of the TDs were getting calls in from constituents as well to say it seemed unfair that, you know, parents weren't allowed to go out and buy clothes. And I thought there might have been a rollback on that, but there wasn't. I mean, there wasn't. I mean, Micheál Martin came out and said, you know, if you're that in need of clothes, then look at click and collect services and that a lot, a lot of local shops are doing it that way. Or, you know, or you can, you know, buy from a local shop and have it posted out to you. But uh, he, he wasn't for moving on that. And it doesn't look for whatever reason that he's not for moving, um, allowing people to go back into churches in order to have mass. As I say, if anything breaks this week, uh, we will bring it to you. Now, there was a very heavy death toll yesterday. Eight, eight people died uh, yesterday from COVID-19. The cases then were all hanging. We're back again to every day waiting on the numbers to see are they dropping. 444 cases yesterday. So they are going down uh, thank God. And there was actually three counties yesterday that had no additional infection. So certainly level five is working. Worst hit areas once again Dublin. Dublin is still very slow to get it under control. They had 158 new cases. Here in Cork we had 48 new cases. They are starting to drop in Cork. Still high but they're starting to drop. 36 in Galway 28 in Limerick and then 174 were spread across 19 other uh, counties. But the one thing when you look at well 444 still too many cases but when you look at it, it was Dublin Cork, Galway and Limerick they were the counties that had the highest number of cases yesterday. That's highlighting the ongoing difficulties of containing the virus in larger urban areas. So it's any of the counties that has large cities they are the ones that are showing the that it's slower. The numbers are slower to uh, come down. The Health Minister Stephen Donnelly was speaking at the Oireachtas Health Committee yesterday. He did share a bit of good news though that the R number and the R number shows how many people on average a person with the virus will go on to infect. That's fallen. It's now between 07 
and 0.9 and that certainly is good news for reducing the spread of the virus and that's what will help the virus to shrink because at one stage that was heading back up to two and going even over uh, two. So that certainly is good news. We have it back under one. And then looking at the numbers in the hospital, which we always have to keep an eye on the hospital because we can't have our hospitals overwhelmed. 310 patients in hospital with the virus yesterday and 41 in intensive care. And that's indicating that the situation in the hospitals stable. And we'll take stable. We certainly will take take stable. And then to hear the chief medical officer, Dr. Tolly Houlihan, once again giving advice to people if you are contacted to say you are a close contact of a confirmed case. And I'm always astounded that they keep having to repeat this. You would think at this stage that if you got that dreaded, and it would be a dreaded phone call or a text message, I think it is now, to say you've been a close contact, you would assume everyone would know automatically what they what they have to do. But it seems the message isn't still getting across to people. If you're a confirmed if you are a close contact of a confirmed case, you have to restrict your movements for 14 days. You then have to go for a COVID-19 test, but you have to go for two COVID-19 tests. You go for, you get called and that's deemed day zero. So that's day one. So you get your test that day and then you have to go back again on day seven for a second test. And it, this, it's because... An identified close contact, it means you've come in contact with somebody who has definitely been confirmed as positive for COVID-19, but it might take some time for it to become apparent in you or for you to become infectious. So that's why you stay at home for the entire 14 days. And by doing that, we're helping to stop the spread of what is a dangerous uh, disease. And in following, Dr. Hulan says, what is this important guidance? You're going to help to bring the virus right back down to where we all need it to be. And then obviously we're playing, we're all playing our part in this uh, national uh, effort. But it seems people are just, whether they don't understand or they don't want to understand, Understand, but when they're getting the call to say they are in close contact, they're either not, they're either not self-isolating, which and staying at home for the fourteen days. But there is certainly still a big problem. People might go for the test on day one or day zero, as it's called, and they get a negative result, and then they won't go back for the second test. And it's so. The last time I checked it, I think thirty percent of people who test negative on the first day will test positive on the second test. So that means thirty percent of people, if they don't go back for the test, will be walking around with the virus and could go on to uh, infect others. Minister Donnelly, the health minister was saying that despite the improvement, the high numbers of people testing positive still remains a concern. We still have to suppress those numbers even further. There has been almost 11,000 cases of the virus over the past uh, two weeks. Now, the HSC, they are increasing their testing capacity to 140,000. Remember, their original target was 100,000 tests weekly. And we need to have, have as much capacity for testing as possible so that if you do need a test, that when you you can get called very quickly, get in, have the test and get the results back. So they're also going to hire more swabbers to take the tests. They're also going to hire more contact tracers. And it's important that we get in more contact tracers because they need to relieve staff who were seconded from other areas of the health service because they need to return to their original posts. For example, a lot of people in multi-D teams, people like speech and language therapists, occupational therapists, they were all 
particularly during the first lockdown because their work ceased. So rather than let them sit at home and do nothing, they decided, OK, we'll take all those people in, all the multi-D teams, we'll train them up as contact tracers and we'll put them in. But now, obviously, a lot of services are back up and running and the waiting lists, particularly for speech and language therapy for adults and children, that waiting list is growing all the time and it seems to me such a waste to have highly qualified therapists sitting down ringing people to say, sorry, you've been you're with you were with someone in the last week or whatever who has tested positive for COVID nineteen. I now need to talk through with you what you need to do. You know, you need to go and get your test, you need to go contact your GP, etc. It just seems such a waste that we have these highly trained therapists when we have adults and children on waiting lists for the various therapies. So I think the sooner that we train up the new contact tracers, get them into the positions and get get those highly qualified therapists back to their original posts the sooner we do that uh, the better 1850 uh, John Paul taking your calls along with uh, Sadie uh, you can also text our WhatsApp 086 uh, to 103 103 now am I going to the phone lines on line one um, I'm going to Caroline um, morning Caroline Hi Patricia How you're, are you? You're very welcome This is Caroline Collins Chairperson of the Race Committee for the Drimmer League Races and you join us this morning to share disappointing news Well yeah I suppose just the well the main thing was about the, the road signs that we got erected and just about to stop the spread of the Covid we got them put up at the entrance of the village in Drummer League because I suppose we'll be having no races this year because of the whole COVID situation but we just wanted to do something for... All right, sorry, I'm I'm misreading what's coming in on my screen. Okay, all right, so the races are not going ahead and obviously as with a lot of, yeah, they they, they can't and please God, we'll we'll be back and the races will be bigger than better in in 2021. Exactly, whenever this situation allows us. So you decided to put up signs. Tell me about the signs. Yeah, we just, we were trying to think it something to do because obviously when we can't have races I suppose we're twiddling our thumbs as a committee because usually we're busy at this time of the year coming up to Christmas and we just we're trying to think something to do to try and stop this dreadful disease. So you put up a sign saying wash your hands? Yeah, wash your hands, <laughs> wear a mask, keep your distance and hopefully all this will lead to killing, killing the virus. And where did you get the signs? Did you get them made up? We got them made up in Bantry, uh, in Fastness Solutions in Bantry. Well done, well done. And if other and did they cost a lot? No, um, no, they came in. They're not uh, very expensive. They came in under, no, no, they were in under hundred euro anyway. Yeah, and uh, just the committee went and got them, put them up, and we have, we have. So we're just hoping that maybe other towns and villages might follow suit. And Why not? Like that. And it's it just shows, doesn't it? It's it's all a kind of a collective effort, isn't it? We all need to row in. We all need to do something. So here's something that local committees and there are yeah. lots of groups like you all over they're the pro- county. Yeah, and there's probably loads of like us that their event has been cancelled, so have have nothing to do really. I know, so I know. Looking. And it's re- yeah. and this would be the busy time of the year for you, Caroline. Yes, Stevenson's Day is our big day. Um, we last year we celebrated the 150th anniversary of the races. Wow! So, like it's only I think it's the fourth time in the history of them that they haven't that they won't be ran on St. Stephen's Day. Well, yeah. So there was I think foot and mouth 
called it off. And I remember the foot and mouth. That, that yeah. I remember that year that it had to be called off. That affected so much. Did did it did it go ahead during wartime? I wonder was this with that? No, there was one. There was one year back in nineteen nine in the nineteen late nineteen tens or nineteen twenties that it didn't go ahead as well. Yeah. And then there was um, so there was that year there was the foot and mouth, and then there was two years ago, two thousand eighteen. There wasn't enough horses at the time, ah. so that was the third. So this is only the fourth time in the history of them that they haven't gone ahead. And in a hundred years' time, please God, there'll be a group on talking about the Dreamer League yeah. races and they'll be talking about that they remembered in 2020, it's in the history books, it didn't go ahead because of COVID-19. Because of COVID, exactly, yeah. So you'll twiddle yeah. your thumbs on St Stephen's Day, will you, Caroline? Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a shock to the system, yeah. all right. But look, hopefully we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll get going at some stage. Anyway. You'll be bigger and better next year, I promise you that. Yeah, Listen, and crossed. well done on putting up those signs. Terrific idea, okay. well done. Congratulations. Thanks for that, Caroline. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks. for doing Joining us, 1850-333-103. With Level 5 restrictions now in place, it's more important than ever to keep it local. That's why C103 asks you to make every effort to shop locally. Whether it's in store for essentials online or click and collect. A thriving local economy is good for everyone. You'll save time and support local jobs. You can make it better. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, where you can shop local for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Thank you for keeping it local. Thank you for keeping it local. From everyone at C103. Taxi company Free Now are calling for the wearing of face masks in taxis to be made mandatory as they see issues with compliance among passengers here in Cork. Joining me from Free Now is their general manager, uh, Niall Carson. Good morning to you, Niall. Good morning, uh, You're welcome. Now, face masks are already mandatory on public transports, on buses, trains, if you're in Dublin, on the Lewis, etc. Do you feel that you should be treated the same as public transports? public transport that taxis should be treated the same yeah for sure taxis come under the heading of STSV so small public service vehicles so we would see ourselves as an important part of the public transport network and it's the drivers that choose to work with free now that we're representing over 14,000 across Ireland but also 915 approximately in Cork and um, we really feel they've been left out in the dark we uh, there was a minister's question uh, in July and uh, Mr Ryan at the time committed to making it mandatory for taxis um, for people within taxis, both drivers and passengers, to wear face coverings. And as of yet, the government, uh, the Department of Transport, haven't enacted any legislation to support that. So we really feel drivers have been put at risk. Um, I'm sure for passengers, the majority of passengers have been great, but we do see these confrontations happening where drivers are asking uh, passengers to wear a mask and they're choosing not to. And because there isn't a mandatory aspect mm-hmm. for well, it, it's, it's yeah. ha- I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming a taxi driver can't say, "Well, get out of my taxi if you're not going to wear a mask." Well, the majority of drivers as well don't want to say that because drivers don't want to see people stranded. First of all, second of all, the drivers that I know are good family people, and they 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 want to you know provide a great service. So it's a real challenge. They can, by law refuse uh, entry to their taxi. But I think, Patricia, if there's anything we've learned around this, you know, these really challenging months across all industries is the clarity of messaging from the government has made for the, the success or the failure in different areas. And I think what we need clarity on this to help the industry, the taxi industry. And I think there's, there's a, a wider message there about uh, face coverings and mask wearing anyway. And we are a, com- a compliant nation. I mean, if they if we're told to do something, 
99% of the people will do it. I mean, if they mm-hmm. came out today and said, you must wear a face mask in a taxi, Absolutely. the majority would do it, wouldn't they? Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, we just, when, when, it said, when we get to a point where the government aren't giving clarity, it leads us all to believe, well, why, well, maybe it's not that important then. But in fact, it is important. It's an oversight by them and they really just need to fix it. We're, we, this isn't the first time we've come out uh, saying it. We now have been, you know, we have a leadership position with the, working with the drivers that we're working with. We want to represent them and try and get, you know, work in their best interest. And the fact that it still hasn't been done is, is really disappointing. And I wear a face mask to protect you, and uh, Niall, and you wear a face mask face mask to protect me so by mm-hmm. us by somebody getting into a taxi it's it's the taxi driver is going to be more at risk isn't it if mm-hmm. I'm not wearing yeah. my mask Absolutely the drivers have raised this a number of times with um, a number of times in, in feedback to us so at the end of every journey drivers can, can uh, send feedback and they can say look passengers refuse to wear a face mask the drivers are sanitising vehicles after the uh, each journey and it's it's very frustrating for them. I know, like, obviously ventilation is a, is a key part of keeping, um, you know, the spread of the virus that day. Um, so obviously drivers are making sure their, their taxis are well ventilated. But really for such a simple solution, like we've all walked into shops and you've seen at times, especially at the beginning of the, of, um, of the restrictions, uh, where people were told, sorry, you need to wear a face mask. You must leave and, and return when you are wearing a face covering. And that, that just should be the same with taxis. It's just really disappointing. And I know that the industry has been so hard hit that the drivers are just feeling this is another slap in the face for them. And I know when you say ventilation and have a window open, but I mean, we had a really frosty cold morning this morning. If you were going on, uh, even if you were in a taxi for 20 minutes, half an hour, you couldn't have had the windows open on a morning like this morning. No, no, I think that that's part of the reason, the comfort that you get uh, taking a taxi journey. You want to, you want to have that comfort and I think uh, if drivers were, uh, you know, freezing everyone out of it, it would be, uh, it would also be, lead to more complaints on the passenger side. But again, Tricia, it's just a simple solution. If we can get everybody to wear face coverings, we've been reminding people through the app. So when you go to book a journey, you get a pop up on the app telling you uh, that, you know, asking you to wear a face mask. All drivers, uh, before they start a shift uh, working with Free Now, they will accept that they uh, they will wear a face mask. So it just shouldn't be an issue. And I think it's. Uh, these are challenging times and it will be one less thing to worry about. Yeah, have some of supportive. some of your members put up screens? Screen. Uh, yeah, no, we, yeah, we were the first um, first company to launch the, uh, the ability to book a, uh, a, a screen fleet and taxi. Uh, so we have a screen fleet of um, over 4,000 taxis across the country that are uh, you're able to book through the app. You can choose to have a taxi that has a screen. Um, and we we did that as a real positive, and that was right at the start of the pandemic. We came out and did that and supported drivers in getting those installed. However, the, the more recent um, recent sort of facts about COVID nineteen are that uh, the screen will do one thing, but mask wearing, as you said, Patricia, will protect you and protect me. Mm. So it's, um, yeah, it's important. Would some of your members uh, now end up driving people to COVID nineteen test centres? We actually, that was something that has come up and it's not something that we have, uh, we have found. Um, we, have, we know that we're already working with the HSE across the country and we're working with the, uh, the Department of Health. But any time anyone has had any, we have had contact from the HSE saying that somebody had received a test and we were to inform a driver. But it's been very minimal, actually. I think people have been very conscious around this, that, um, you know, they keeping their, um, their, I suppose, contacts close. 
that they're getting friends and family to bring them up, yeah. family essentially to bring them in. So, yeah, because yeah, no, that would be time for everyone. That would be a huge risk. And then overall, uh, Nile, the taxi industry. I mean. It, it, it's an industry that really has been hit since the start of the pandemic and I'm assuming level five restrictions has made things even even worse for your industry. Yeah, yeah. I think year over year, Halloween traditionally would have been drivers would have seen it as an early an early Christmas where we would see this peak um, usage where you wouldn't see, a, you know, a normal month um, just with the, the element of party around it as well. But similarly on business side of it. So, Overall, drivers are probably seeing themselves down 70 to 80% year over year. We know we're not the only industry being hit. Um, obviously, you know, we work closely with the hospitality industry, and that has been decimated, of course. Uh, but from the taxi driver's point of view, they would have a lot of overheads. Obviously, your insurance, you know, your either repayments on your vehicle, as well as all the day-to-day expenses that come with running a, running a taxi. So it's, it's a very challenging time for them and uh, certainly the government has some support in place. We've communicated that with the drivers as well, but it, it really isn't easy and uh, I think drivers are, um, are working very hard for a lot less at the moment. And uh, you will all help out. Please wear a mask, folks, if you're getting into a, a taxi today or across this weekend. All right, uh, now listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Trisha. Good morning to you. That is uh, Niall Carson, who is the general manager of the taxi company Free Now and Jur on Twitter at C103 Cork said, absolutely amazed that masks are not compulsory in taxis. As I say, I mentioned that earlier, it was one of the first things we did when uh, the directive came that you would have to wear face coverings on all public transports, buses and uh, trains, etc. We straight away got calls in saying, does that include taxis? And I assumed that it was going to also mean taxis and I was taken aback that it wasn't that it was only for the buses the trains and you know the trams in in Dublin I was I I can't understand what is the difference if you're in a a car been driven somewhere it's still a public it's a public vehicle in that it's somebody collecting you to bring you somewhere or to to take you somewhere 1850-333-103 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. Hi, this is Nick and I love the same songs that you love. Under Pressure by David Bowie and Green. Flash dance, what a feeling. feeling. I want to dance with someone by Whitney Houston. Papa Don't Preach. Playing Cork's greatest hits while you work. Nick Richards. Weekdays from 1. C103. We will update what's going on over in the States from the presidential election uh, point of view. Uh, Also hearing about the effects of home drinking, the effects it has on families and on children since the start of the pandemic. The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
as we heard on the 11 o'clock news, counting is continuing in the US presidential election amid legal challenges from Donald Trump. The final result hints on just a handful of key battleground states with Joe Biden ahead in the race for the White House at the moment with the very latest our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Good morning to you, Sean. Morning. And you're very welcome. So what's the state of play now? Where are we at? <laughs> So at the moment, we are waiting for those couple of swing states, as you mentioned, and uh, effectively it looks as though it is advantage Biden. His route to the White House seems to be the simpler one and definitely the easier one. If he can hold on to his leads in Nevada and Arizona, then he will be the next president of the United States. That brings him up to the magical 270 number. Although overnight, the lead uh, in Arizona did tighten somewhat, and it is far from a a short thing in Nevada either, where there's only about 7,000 votes between himself and Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump's route is a little bit harder. He would need to win one of those two, either retain Arizona or win back Nevada, along with the leads that he has at the moment uh, in North Carolina and Georgia, although Georgia is getting uh, especially tight as well and could, in fact, split Biden. And it looks as though Donald Trump may win Pennsylvania. However, there's a million votes to be counted still there, and they are expected to lead towards Biden. So at the moment, uh, what the Trump camp is doing is effectively issuing several legal challenges already, trying to to complicate and in some ways undermine the process uh, as counting continues now into today and potentially into tomorrow. And that certainly usually is not the hallmark of uh, a side that thinks it's a sure thing to win. And is Donald Trump still trying to stop the counting? So this is... uh, strange statement that he came out with yesterday morning when he said he was going to go to the Supreme Court to try and stop voting. Well, of course, voting had already stopped everywhere else, so we're not entirely sure what he was trying to do. But the allegation from him and Rudy Giuliani overnight has been that effectively he believes the Democrats are just finding ballots down the the back of the couch, that they are uh, as these leads that he had in states like Michigan and Wisconsin, which were overturned and ultimately were called for Biden and the similar thing in Pennsylvania, are not legitimate. That is what he is trying to peddle. However, there is no evidence for that at the moment. So he has uh, issued various different um, claims and challenges in the courts, very few of which seem to have any basis and which are all across very different reasons. So, for example, in some of them, he's saying that the, the uh, they weren't properly witnessed by his side and therefore shouldn't count uh, in, in some areas. Uh, for example, Eric Trump has um, suggested or retweeted a conspiracy theory video that, in fact, Trump ballots were being burned in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. So there's um, a, a quite a, a various and, uh, and wide different range of tactics that Donald Trump is trying to use here. And I certainly, anything I've been watching on uh, TV, and I'm assuming it's across all of the count centres, I mean, there's cameras inside in the count centres. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, for the large part, has been very open, very democratic. You have been able to see quite clearly what is happening um, and being able to see the counting going on now. What the, what the Republicans are trying to claim is that that isn't actually the case in some areas and the official adjudicators, the official observers that they had didn't witness certain portions of votes. And it's interesting that they're not targeting entire votes. They're targeting certain portions, certain counties, uh, and largely counties that went very heavily by and he did threaten this isn't it? before there was even a vote cast. He was threatening that he would take legal action, wasn't he, Donald Trump? 
Well, he's been he's been laying the groundwork for this for months now at this stage, um, basically ever since we knew that the coronavirus was going to impact the US election to the extent that postal voting was going to be a massive factor and there were going to be hundreds of thousands and indeed millions of uh, these votes. So we kind of saw this coming down the line. He did somewhat soften his stance in the days up to the election when it came to actually challenging it and accepting the results, but that's gone out the window entirely and certainly from... Uh, the, the American White House correspondence being briefed from Team Trump that he is the one leading all of this. He is the one leading the idea, the challenges, the idea that he is somehow uh, being done out of a win here. And it lays a very dangerous groundwork no matter what happens because if Biden wins, well, is Trump going to accept that result? We, we don't know. Even if he doesn't accept it, he is incited and riles up his supporters to such a state that they might not accept it and we could see further uh, riots, further protests. There have been some over the night outside, particularly count centres in Arizona where, where that is ongoing. So it's it's poison on ice edge and I think it's a very febrile atmosphere now in the US as well. Yeah, and of course it's all the postal votes and the absentee votes that they're counting at, at, the, at the moment and they were always expected to favour Biden over Donald Trump. Yeah, the whole Democrat strategy was to get their supporters to postal vote because a lot of their supporters were quite afraid of coming out or have been more fearful in general of uh, COVID-19 and of having to go to potentially crowded uh, voting centres. So what we have seen uh, fairly consistently in the trends over uh, over the last two days now is that the postal votes and the absentee votes, as well as those coming from big urban areas, so the likes of, um, say, in Michigan, the likes of Detroit, in Wisconsin, the likes of, uh, of Milwaukee, were breaking pretty heavily for Biden, some as many, uh, seven or eight out of every ten. But then, interestingly, overnight, some of the ballots that were counted in Arizona actually were going 60, 40 Trump and narrowing Joe Biden's lead there. So it's not a, a complete hard and fast rule, but in general, the postal absentee votes breaking Democrat. Okay, so the timeline for today, will they finish counting by today? Well, I, it looks unlikely for the entire race, particularly Pennsylvania, we have been told could well go into tomorrow. We are expected to get more ballots from Nevada throughout the course of the day, but that might not be well into tonight, Irish time. Um, some of the other races look a little bit closer, the likes of North Carolina, the likes of Georgia, and um, potentially Arizona. We might actually get finished today, but overall, it looks as though the, the final declaration, because it is so tight, may not be till, until tomorrow. And even then, we know already plans to request a, a recount, for example, in, in Wisconsin, which can't happen yet. I think it needs to be 10 or 11 days after the election before they can do a recount. We've also got a situation in Nevada where they legally have to take any vote that comes in until the 10th of those postal votes. So if there is still a tr- trickle of them coming in over the next few days, they will have to be counted as well. So we might not get an overall announcement today and it may well drag it tomorrow. God, it's incredible. It really is incredible. OK, and obviously uh, all those legal challenges would ho- would hold up a final result. Yeah, completely. I mean, we're looking at really a situation we saw in 2000 where Florida was the one state that held everything up and all the various challenges, the Supreme Court getting involved. You certainly feel that the the courts in various forms and perhaps up to the Supreme Court will still have a role to play in this election in some way or another. Um, And very hard to tell at what point we are going to have a definitive answer. And then because it's Donald Trump, so even if things go Biden's way and he is declared the winner. We don't 100% know that Donald Trump is going to accept that. He certainly hasn't given any indication that he thinks he will, um, given how tight the race is. So how he reacts. And remember, even if everything were to go Biden's way, 
Donald Trump still has three months left in the White House, regardless, until January 20th. That's a long time for a, a, a someone who is not a, a playing the the fair uh, fair deal actor, if you like, in this, who could be disgruntled over an election that he thinks he's robbed, to have a severe influence over the United States and over their international reputation. It does so, not bear thinking here. about. It really doesn't. All right, listen, uh, Sean, as, all, as always, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Uh, it looks like it's uh, bye bye. It's another long day for people who are watching what's coming out of the states. That's uh, Sean Defoe, our uh, political editor. Hi, Patricia. I this is Martin from Moy. I hope Donald Trump will win. I think we could all do with a bit of a laugh because the virus will be with us for a long time. <laughs> I don't know, Martin, how people in the states would feel. The why would feel about the only reason that we want him to stay in power is he gives people a little bit of a laugh. Thank you for your text though to 0862103103. Now there's been a couple of people um, about a piece that is a sword in the papers uh, this morning and this is to do with the amount of people flying in and out of uh, Ireland. Gat on Twitter to at C103 Cork says is it really legitimate to threaten people with fines for breaking the rules when so many passengers are flying into this uh, country particularly the figures that are out for the first week of level five lockdown. I don't think the government have a leg to stand on what happened to essential travel only. And uh, Jill says, hi Patricia, I just saw a tweet about plane passenger numbers. Are they not shocking? But what's even more shocking is they're arriving into this country, but we have our churches closed. No mass and yet you can still fly in and out of Ireland. More risky than going to mass. Are we all in this together or are some of us been conned? It's rapidly turning into a fight between good and uh, evil. There's a feeling that religion, they're trying to suppress uh, religion. That's from a Jill. And these were the figures that were given out yesterday on the number of airborne passenger traffic in and out of Ireland. Now, while the figures sound shockingly high, they obviously have dramatically dropped on say this time last year but the figures that they that they gave yesterday 25,239 people arrived into Ireland by air during the week beginning October the 19th so that one week from October the 19th from there from that week on over 25,000 people now it was already a drop on the previous week because 65,418 passengers had landed the previous uh, week. The Cork Airport numbers are even lower. For Cork Airport, when you break down than all the people that flew into this country, 1,501 people arrived during the week, the first week of lockdown. And the countries that you could fly into this, fly into Cork, Netherlands, Poland, Portugal, Spain and the UK. Figures for Shannon Airport even lower. 505 people arrived in that week. And in Dublin Airport, the bulk of the travellers came into Dublin Airport. Biggest number of them came from the United uh, Kingdom. Arrivals from America were stood at 543. Now, I know people are saying those numbers are still very high but when you look at what normal the normal number of people that would have been flying into this country but people are still not happy to think that over 25,000 people on the first week of lockdown still came into this country and by the way there are the numbers coming in the numbers going out I thought I saw the numbers going out were actually slightly higher while, the, while just over 25,000 came into this country 29,519 people left Irish airports for international destinations on the week beginning October 
the 21st and that's down 53% from the beginning of uh, August. And where did they go of the people leaving the country? 8,500 people went to the UK and 792 went to the uh, US. And then 166 of the travellers were bound for destinations uh, elsewhere in Ireland. Okay, uh, so they're just the figures. Some people just st- that goes back to the argument that some people feel that we should just close down the airports and we should be allowing nobody to come in and out of this country. But interesting when it was mentioned about fines, because Peter in Blackpool was on to us to say, have the Gardaí started to issue fines, particularly for the not wearing of face masks? He said he's tired of seeing people, especially in garages not wearing face masks people who fill up with their petrol and then just rush in to pay for the petrol and they're not putting face masks uh, on them well I can tell you that that system of fines for breaches of the coronavirus uh, regulations is expected to come into force sometime this week still can't get an exact date on it we're now two weeks into level five lockdowns and we were told that when we went into level five that these the system of fines for breaches would would be enacted. Now what will the fines cover those who host or travel to a house party if you refuse what Peter is talking about to wear a face mask if you travel beyond your five kilometres for a non-essential reason fines anything from 60 euro up to two and a half thousand euro. Now the Department of Health have declined to say when the statutory instrument will be enacted and that needs to be enacted so that the fines can be published and written into law. They only said that it is an urgent priority of the government but I was reading in some newspaper reports that it's in, it's understood that they are preparing to introduce the scheme, scheme system towards the end of this week. Now what's the end of this week? Is that today? Is that tomorrow? I certainly have seen nothing today to indicate that it's coming in. Now when the new system is in place if you refuse to wear a mask on public transport or if you refuse to wear a mask in any kind of a retail setting if you engage in any kind of non-essential travel, then the initial fines will be between €60 and €100. And then if you're caught for a repeat offence, the fines get higher and it can go up to a maximum of €500. If you're caught hosting a house party are travelling to a house party. The fines are €1,000 for a first offence and up to €2,500 and six months in prison for repeat offences. And by the way, the owner of the house will be presumed to be the host of the house party unless they can prove otherwise. But of course, under the current legislation, which includes the new legislation, the Gardaí will still not be permitted to enter a household to shut down a house party. And therein lies the big problem with the house parties and how they stop the house parties. Now, I know the Gardaí themselves are slow to say, bring on the introduction of the fines because they say that there is very high compliance with uh, level five. But they do admit that they're a bit confused about how aspects of these new fines will work. And Antony Cunningham is the Secretary General of the Association of Garda Sergeants. And last month when she was questioned how the proposals will help Garda put a stop to house parties, she said there's a bit of a problem if they're not allowed to enter a house. He's, she said it's clear from the Minister's comments that we will not have the power to enter into a person's home. And on a practical level, this means if a person refuses to answer the door to remember from Garda Siakona where a house party is taking place, she says we remain powerless. So you could have the tunes pumping out and you could see in through the window that there's lots of people inside in the sitting room. But if the Garda can't get in to issue the fi- fines, are those 
that particular aspect is that all going to be a waste of time anyway for people they're not in yet but we're told the end of this week it's expected to be enacted with the Department of Health saying that that they are giving it urgent priority but they haven't signed off on that system of fines uh, yet 1850-333-103 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 C103 Jobs a qualified child care practitioner is required. It's for Ashes Angels, that's the preschool in uh, Mallow. Carers and cleaning staff are wanted for Brookfield Care Centre, that's in Leem Lara. While Charleville Plantar, they're recruiting for an access fitter and also a plant mechanic. You need to have a full B driving licence. And a person wanted to care for an elderly lady in her own home. It's in Drumahan in Mallow. You may be required to stay overnight on occasions. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm. We have a long road to travel with this yet because what has been agreed as well is it's going to be a two-year transition period. The first year of the new cap, we have to use that time to get the best deal possible for our farmer. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Heifer Rearer Cube, a trusted partner to help your replacement heifers reach their target weights and meet their full potential. Only on C103. Now, last week, new figures from Revenue showed that alcohol consumption was down 4.5% from January to September compared to last year. But Alcohol Action Ireland has warned that more harmful drinking is taking place at home because of the restrictions on pubs. Ewan McKinney is Head of Communications at Alcohol Action Ireland and Ewan joins me. Good morning to you, Ewan. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're welcome. With pubs closed now for almost eight months, uh, albeit they were open for for two weeks, uh, would you have expected the reduction in alcohol sales to be higher? I certainly would. Um, In terms of this data that the revenue, which is really excellent, revenue data, um, which they produce on on a quarterly basis, I mean, what we see here is that the, the level of consumption of alcohol has fallen by 4.42% or 4.5%, as you say. And, you know, we, in our normal uh, assessment of the alcohol market, know that at least a third, if not more, of alcohol consumed is consumed in public house, public houses, less licensed premises, etc. So the fact that we would have had uh, experienced a, a closure of all pubs, largely, um, with the exception of those with food, since uh, the middle of March. Uh, I think it would be reasonable to to think that we would have seen close to somewhere around thirty percent of a reduction in alcohol use, uh, but we haven't. We've only seen four and a half percent reduction. And so the, 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 the figures are showing that people have swapped their on-trade drinking and they're just drinking at home instead. Exactly, exactly. So I was just going to say, you know, what you can do is you can then look at the data in relation to the sales, the level of alcohol sales in the off-trade, what we understand as supermarkets, convenience stores, corner shops, petrol stations, etc., off-licenses. Um, if we look at that data, we can see that over the period of the COVID crisis, you know, starting in April, we saw a 44% increase uh, in May, we saw a 70% increase. In June, we saw a 93% increase. In July, we saw a 76% increase, etc. 
And, uh, you know, comes most recent data is for September, where we see a 53% increase. And that's year on year. So they're, where they're comparing with, say, September this year with September last year. There's been a, 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 that kind of spike in the sale of alcohol out of the off trade. Now, the difficulty for that, of course, is, and it's obviously it's, it's, it's helpful that people at a, at a total population level are reduced to have, have reduced their consumption. But the great difficulty we've had is, and do have, is that that level of alcohol being purchased in the off trade pouring into people's homes is a real problem. Uh, because that alcohol then is used in a very unstructured, unregulated manner, uh, free-flowing manner, and yeah, is, is, that, is undoubtedly going to cause great. And is is that is there a danger that some people will drink more at home than they would if they were out in a pub? Well, there's no question that's the case, and I mean, again, I think that the data would back that up um, because because people are. You know, in a, in a different environment, it's not a regulated environment, and it's part of the reason whereby we would have advocated for some degree of of a, of a phased, safe reopening of the licensed premises. Because at least when people were consuming alcohol uh, and using alcohol, they were doing it in a very regulated way. And typically, the best example of this is really wine and spirits. Um, and you know, we've seen in the data from the revenue commissioners. Again, without complicating it too much for your listeners, we can see that there's been a 13% increase in wine sales over the nine months and really a very, very, very tiny, small, one, only 1% reduction uh, in the sale of spirits. So, you know, all, all of that continuing level of alcohol is pouring into our homes and people tend to not understand that, you know, in, in your average bottle of wine, there is seven measures of alcohol, seven standard drinks of alcohol. Um, if you were in a pub no, or a no, restaurant, in terms, of, in terms of in terms of what, yeah, what is the yeah? But if you've got a lar- if you've got a large glass, you're thinking, oh, I'm only having a glass of wine. Exactly. That glass of wine could be two. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's the point we're making, and this is the harmful problem. And I think what we see here is likely what were you know what might come out and start as a a sort of a temporary. Uh, um, you know, temporary change in our behaviour can very quickly become permanent uh, habits. And in that respect, I think like a lot of things, uh, we, we, we have been a lot of discussion at a national level around uh, the harm to our, to our mental health in relation to COVID. But of course, alcohol is a contributing factor to that because alcohol is, is, is a depressant in itself. Um, so I think we're going to see as we come out of this COVID crisis and move back into some degree of normality, hopefully, please God, in 2021, we're going to see a huge spike in relation to the demand for treatment services on dependency levels and addiction services. And parental drinking, um, Ewan, has huge implications on the children in in the house, doesn't it? It does, and thank you for mentioning that because we we actually published a paper yesterday in conjunction with... uh, University College Cork, which is a study on reflecting on some of the the commentaries and narratives we've received from people uh, in relation to telling their stories around what we call silent voices. And we can see clearly that there's a direct real consequence for children in relation to growing up in homes where there's a parental alcohol misuse. I mean, it's recognised that alcohol, that level of alcohol misuse in a home is a significant contributor to 
what, what, what are known as adverse childhood experiences. And in the report that we published yesterday, we sought to look at exactly how the progress of a child from essentially primary school into secondary school can be very greatly affected by this this sort of living experience. And, and of course, we understand that if a child is growing up in a home where alcohol has been misused, there's great uncertainty for the child. You know, children tend to look to their to their guardian or their parent for certainty and for consistency. And when alcohol is playing a big life, big part in people's lives, that level of consistency was out the window. And uh, there's a there's a great degree of uncertainty and trauma attached for children. And that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to highlight. But, you know, there are two hundred thousand children, Patricia, today that have woken up in homes that where alcohol is a parental source of, of, of trauma for those children. 200,000? 200,000. One in six children in That's Ireland incredible thing. Are, are experiencing that. And it's a shocking, shocking uh, data, that. But the other factor about that, which is often sometimes mis- overlooked as well, is that those 200,000 children grow up to be adults, remember, you know, and they mm. bring with them all those scars. They bring with them all that traumatic impact. And, you know, have certain uncertainty in their lives, in coping with their lives as they go forward, you know. And that yeah. in itself becomes a force where people are driven back into dependency on alcohol. So it's a kind of a vicious circle in many respects. You know? uh, and and once again, you're calling and, and I'm going to once again mention it to you because in every interview I think I've had with you in recent years, we've spoken about it, the introduction of minimum unit pricing. I know, yeah. I mean, it's a... It's a constant source of disappointment for us that minimum unit pricing um, hasn't been introduced. It, was a, it is a fundamental pillar of the Public Health Alcohol Act, which was introduced two years ago at this stage. And essentially, just to remind your listeners, what minimum unit pricing does is it, it ensures that alcohol products, especially those cheap, strong products, could not be sold in the supermarket for less than a certain price. And at the moment, what's happening is there is a price war largely taking place across the retail landscape, which is driving those sales that I outlined earlier. And what's driving it is a really, really exceptionally affordability of alcohol. Um, And if we were to make any serious inroads into reducing our alcohol consumption, we have to address the issue of price and this incredible affordability of alcohol for pocket money prices. Um, And I see today in the examiner, actually, there's a comment by the Taoiseach in relation to uh, when asked about this matter, you know, he has outlined, again, his commitment to minimum unit pricing. And we would say that, you know, Taoiseach, you know, now is the time to act uh, rather than actually, um, you know, been, I suppose, you know, aspirational about this matter. It's two okay. years on the statute book now and it should really be introduced. Okay, listen, we leave it there. Uh, you and no doubt we'll speak again on this very thank topic. You, in the meantime, thank you for joining us. Good morning. That is uh, Ewan McKinney who joins us. He's Head of Communication at Alcohol Action uh, Ireland. Uh, just talking about how the drink numbers have fallen but not the alcohol consumption, not uh, not as much as we would have expected uh, with all of the bars and pubs uh, shut. Somebody's making the point though how do we know people are drinking more at home maybe people are stocking up in fear of a ban on alcohol maybe people are getting ready for Christmas nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors 
Egg foil mock quid then and here is Farlin. Shaw eight thrower C one oh three air kirkig. Is there in devil yastun gahiraho Elizabeth Fort? Agasterter Gwicha or Chandos the Sample is far the rune rail to Hrahoch on Shachtu Hishdiak. Kegger at Togoche Harnablianta, Hogalord on Dun on Giatlaw Real Fos Lefeshkint, a Togoch, a do sporter, Sivlian Shadiak Sahayan, when Sultas Rarkana Untacha Erhar Kurki, O Ali Nununta, Agas Tog Truss, Hun Faulum Fest, Aaron Duin, Agas Nakaharach, Hodesh na Green Grafadorach, the Untachal, Marshin Nafog, Gan Selfie Hogan. Nukta, Quid Denaneha, is Fari Gorkik, C103. Prof to Bandon Guard the station for this week's uh, Guard the Fod with Sergeant uh, James O'Donovan, Crime Prevention Officer. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. And you are welcome. We start with you're looking for witness appeals for a burglary. Yes, Patricia. Um, last Tuesday, uh, between 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. in the Tullock area of Coachford, um, there was a burglary occurred there during the day. Um, unfortunately, um, there was a number of items and there was some cash taken from the house. I suppose what we're doing is we're appealing to anyone that was in the Tullock area there between 11 a.m. and 5 p.m., particularly around maybe half one to half two, to, to contact the Gardaí in uh, McCroom or in Coachford, especially if they have dash cam footage on their on their car, or maybe that they saw anyone acting suspicious or a strange car in the area, we'd appreciate any assistance that we could, could get for that burglary. Okay, and in, that's in Tuesday, Tuesday of this week. That's just last Tuesday, just last there, Tuesday. between 11am and 5pm. Okay. Um, we have a number of criminal damage um, there in the division over the last couple of weeks as well, Patricia. On the 22nd of October there, um, the abandoned co-op store down in Farm Lane in Kinsale, there was a number of uh, COVID-19 signs that were sprayed over now, obviously, this is someone that has issues with COVID-19 and whether it is real or not. And But we're appealing to anyone that might have passed the Bandon Co-op store there in Farm Lane and can say to, if they saw anyone acting suspicious there around 10.30pm on Thursday the 22nd to contact the Guardian and can fail. Um, moving on there then to the, the 31st, Friday the 31st of October, Patricia, there was a, a house fire. I know that you covered it there at the start of the week in the Glencool Terrace area of Bandon. Uh, extensive damage was done to a vacant house and uh, I suppose again we're appealing to people that might have been on the, the, the bypass in Bandon, passing down the Glancool Terrace area or the GA Pitch area of Bandon, who would have been in that area around 1.50am in the morning to contact the Gardaí in Bandon and any assistance would be greatly appreciated. And a, a rather strange one then in McCroom, Patricia, on the 1st of November uh, I suppose it's, it's a strange one because it was the only car that was damaged overnight there was, it was very random. Uh, a window was smashed of a car. It happened at about uh, 1.20, 1.30 a.m. in the Glinties area, McCroom, we believe. And we're again looking to see if anyone has any, any information to contact the Gardaí in McCroom. That's a very strange crime. Yes, because usually when these crimes happen, um, I suppose they would be a, a number of cars might be damaged. Yeah, yeah, but, but just, just one. A, a yeah. one's off is kind of strange. And okay. look, we're, we're definitely looking for assistance in that if, if people can help us. Okay, you want to talk to us about fraud and in, in particular economic uh, yes, fraud. Yes, and thankfully, Patricia, the, the, these have been uh, in decline there in recent months. I, and I know we've done an awful lot of work with yourselves and the, the fraud economic crime units above in Dublin in relation to, I suppose, preventing this type of crime, making people aware but one thing that has cropped up is, I suppose, people are getting caught on various um, selling sites such as Dundee and eBay and Gumtree and so forth. And we're just asking people to be, I suppose, uh, be, be cute and be aware when they're dealing with people. And I suppose one bit of advice there, especially with one that re- happened recently, I was on to my colleague above in Cork City. Uh, he's newly appointed Crime Prevention Officer, Sergeant Brian McSweeney, and he was telling me 
that there's been two incidents where motorhomes have been purchased. Large volumes of goods of cash handed over for them and no motorhome. These, I suppose, um, these types of websites are being cloned. They look legitimate. Uh, you're speaking to someone that comes across very official and uh, a good salesman, so to speak. And unfortunately, uh, people have been caught. They've purchased uh, motorhomes on the belief that they have from a trusted source. And it, it turns out not to be so. So, And of so course, people are using the guise of, oh, travel restrictions. You can't come to see the product, but I'll send you the photographs of it. And Exactly. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think it's important to get this message across, Patricia. Coming up now to... I suppose the the Christmas season, a lot of people are going to be doing a lot of shopping online. Um, we, we want them to be able to use secure sites, trusted sites. Don't go onto something on a, on a link and go into a website that could possibly be cloned. So, look, I know I'm giving you advice here in relation to, I suppose, the purchase of motorhomes and engines of boats. But it but could it, be anything. It could be anything. Yeah. You have to trust the source. Deal with, uh, deal with only with sources that have been previously used by family or friends. And when purchasing something online from another person, if possible, reserve the right to receive the goods first, especially when buying expensive items. And don't send large amounts of money to anyone you don't know, and especially if it's not uh, a trusted source. And that's that's good advice coming into the Christmas months there now for shopping, because I know a lot of people will be doing it online. Hopefully they'll be shopping online for shops in, in Ireland and not going abroad. And locally. Locally, Stick with the local are, ones. Everyone's Stick with the local ones. That, but at the same time, we still have to be very careful yeah. because these are websites are being cloned to such a high standard. It's very hard. To they do, look legit. To they, they really do. OK, there was a theft from a building site. Yes, this occurred there in Ballymartle on the 22nd of um, uh, October. Uh, attempts were made to get into a cabin. Uh, again, we're appealing. Uh, Guardian can say appealing to anyone who may have been in the Ballymartle area on the 22nd or the 23rd of October to contact them if they saw any suspicious vehicles or behaviour of individuals in that area. Okay. Um, unfortunately, we had a theft of an outboard engine. Uh, thankfully, there have been decreased, but there was one again on uh, the 24th of October uh, between eight, half six and ten to seven in the evening. This was a pure optimistic, opportunist crime. And the man had the engine taken off the boat and put into a flatbed truck. And when he went away to moor the boat and came back, it was taken from the back of the truck. So it happened very fast. Someone might have seen someone putting an engine into a boot of a car, might have tweaked it and make a model of a car if they could contact the Gardaí in Clannacilty or Rathcarby. And that was definitely opportunistic. Somebody oh, just passed yes. it, saw it and it was gone. OK, there was also theft from vehicles. Yeah, um, there was three of them in the division. I suppose I'm not going to go through them individually, Patricia. We just want people to be made aware again these are travelling gangs coming into West Cork. They know that there's people leaving their cars open. Uh, again, we're appealing to people, lock your cars and take your property out of it. I don't think we can say any much more about that yep. in relation yep. because we've covered it well and truly through 2020. And one final one there, there's the criminal damage and antisocial behaviour in Mill Street there. There was a, a crash over the past two weekends. We're looking for assistance from the public. There's people entering the grounds and they did a bit of damage to the crash. And look... I know crashes are under a bit of pressure now at the moment, especially with COVID-19 and new restrictions and dealing with kids and trying to provide the service as good as possible. We certainly don't need them to be coming under any more pressure. Yeah, yeah, actually, we were talking about that particular case in the office earlier in the week, myself and John Paul. Um, It was just awful because it was the outdoor play area. And of course, we know with COVID, it's so important to get the children outside as much as possible. And uh, it was just, it was criminal damage. It was was just um, shocking. Yeah, and if anyone knows anything, to contact the Gardaí in Mill Street. Okay, we want to talk about uh, bogus uh, traders um, today, uh, James, on the programme. Now, we mentioned 
mentioned it and we highlighted the very successful case of the elderly woman in, in Goleen. That was just a shocking and it was such a mean, mean crime. It was and unfortunately Patricia that type of crime is occurring uh, every day around the country. Um, it was a great result and I know that there was massive work put into the team down in Bantry and, and, and in Skull but these, I suppose, these cold callers or bogus tradesmen have been going around the country for years and I want to let people know that if they are being put under duress don't feel embarrassed about it. Report the matter to the Gardaí. They can come across as very astute and very um, capable of doing a job at the outset. But it is when they put pressure on people to get extra cash or maybe to force them to buy goods that they might not want, as such was the case the last day. That's where we need to look after our vulnerable people in our communities. And we're appealing to neighbours to be on the eye out there for strange vans that might be going around doing bogus trade work. Now, there's legitimate people out there doing trades, and I understand that. And we're not targeting that group. We're targeting the people that are going around pretending they can do a trade asking for astronomical amounts of money and putting people in fear if they don't hand over the money. And we just want to remind people out there to look after their vulnerable neighbours, number one, and if they do see it, to contact the local Gardaí and we can put efforts and um, systems into place that we can, we can hopefully track down these people and deter them from going around the country committing these crimes. Yeah, and if you need a job done, you know, source a local tradesperson, speak to other people, get somebody recommended, but certainly don't entertain somebody just calls to your door and tries to either do a service for you or tries to sell you something. Yes, and I think it's very important that, I suppose, coming into the winter months there now, and especially during COVID-19 this year, that the communities have been brilliant, but it, we, we just need to, to, I suppose, just be a bit more aware coming into the winter months and that we will be looking out for these suspicious vans and to, to contact us straight away. OK, I want to wrap it up with road safety advice. Um, James, dark evenings now, the clocks have gone back. Uh, people need to be wearing fluorescent clothing. Fluorescent clothing and uh, torches at night is vital. And even in the mornings as well, I suppose, with the with the, the, the level five lockdown where we are and coming to work in the morning there at half six, quarter seven, and I've seen people out running and not a stitch of fluorescent on them, not a torch or anything. And it's very, very dangerous. We certainly don't want to be dealing with any major accident where injuries are sustained. So I'm appealing to people out there. I know they're in lockdown, they're getting their fitness in, but wear the fluorescent jacket. Be mindful of traffic in the evenings because it, it is darker now. So maybe try and do your run earlier in, in some bit of a, a daylight. And if you are, even in daylight, wear the fluorescent jacket so you can be easily visible. To yeah, and I think with gyms closed, people who maybe traditionally didn't get into running are getting into running and are just not aware of, 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 of what you need when you are going out for a run. I think that's the case too as well. But it's a different environment out there in relation to the roads than running in a gym. Um, you have to be mindful of where you're going. You have to be, where I've seen a couple of runners now and they have earphones on. We, we, we'd advocate people not to wear earphones and listen to music when you're running on the road because you need to be mindful of traffic oncoming and coming from behind you as well and you, you're aware of your surroundings. So again, in relation to the fluorescent jackets, be very careful when you're out there, especially when you're if you're running out on the roads for the first time. OK, we'll leave it there, James. We'll speak again. Thank you for that and thanks, thanks for, for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is Sergeant James O'Donovan, Crime Prevention Officer, uh, working out of Bandon, a guard the station. Uh, 1850-333-103. We've got news at 12 midday on the way. We'll take a look at some of your comments coming into the programme uh, this morning. Also looking for your pet questions because Jane... 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Take it, our resident vet will join us after half past 12 today. So if there's something wrong with one of the animals in your house, you've got a question, a query for Jane. Get it into us, please. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, I was talking with uh, Sergeant James O'Mahony in the last hour for Guard the File and we ended up by James just giving a bit of advice to people who were out either walking or jogging either in the early mornings or in the evening times trying to get a bit of exercise. It's a really good thing to do and we know that for our mental health, particularly during lockdown, it's good to get out and exercise. But please, to make sure that traffic can see you and make sure that you wear fluorescent jacket and if you know that you're going to be running and it's going to be dark, maybe a torch, to, but just make sure that people can see you. Uh, Sandra makes an interesting point when she was listening to James. She was saying, could you also please get the message out to people to please tell them to face oncoming traffic when running and walking? It is as important as wearing a fluorescent uh, jacket. Uh, that comes in from uh, Sandra and how right you are we all and we remember that when we were growing up when we were children and when you were out walking you were always told to face the oncoming traffic more important than ever now particularly if you're doing it in, on a dark evening wear the fluorescent jacket but make sure you are facing on, on oncoming traffic thank you for that uh, Sandra and then a listener says could can we be hopeful at all about vaccines now given that mutations of coronavirus has passed from mink to humans and the mink in some countries now are to be culled. And this was a story actually, thank you, another listener sent me on a link to this earlier. It was a story actually breaking I think out of RTE and it's a story coming out of Denmark that the Denmark by the way are the world's largest producer of mink fur and it seems now Denmark has made the decision they're going to cull all of the country's mink after a mutant version of the new coronavirus was detected at mink farms and it spread to uh, people. The 
mutation could pose a risk that future coronavirus vaccines won't work the way they uh, should. But because they have discovered that this mutant version of coronavirus is passing from this, this little animal, the little mink, to humans, it's been decided in Denmark that they're going to call all of the mink in their country. And that is going to be a huge, huge task because, would you believe, there are between 15 and 17 million minks spread across 1,080 farms. And because of that, the chief of police in Denmark is saying it is going to be a very large undertaking. I, can I just say when, I, when this story first came to my attention earlier this morning, I was taken aback that people are still that there still is a mink trade and that people are still wearing mink fur coats. I thought they were so gone. And obviously, the fact that there's between 15 and 17 million of these little animals, does it not show that there is a huge trade for mink fur? I was really kind of taken aback by that. Anyway, the virus has been detected in 207 of the just over 1,000 farms and it has been confirmed that it's a mutant version and that it's spreading back to uh, humans and because of that they have taken the decision to cull all of the mink in that country. Now I don't know if that's just Denmark or if that's something that's going to pop up in other countries or or not but that is a, a worrying story for sure. As I say, thank you to some of our listeners for passing that on and drawing our attention to it. On the fines that we spoke about that the police, that the Garda Siakona, they can't yet enforce, but we're being told that the Department of Health has it as a priority and that they're going to sign off the legislation which will allow the Garda to fine you if you don't wear a mask, if you attend a house party or if you travel outside of your five kilometre limit from your home. Uh, but the one big glaring problem that the Gardaí say is that they do not have the right to enter a person's house even if there is a party going on. So they are looking for clarification around that. Liz makes an interesting point. Liz says, I thought Gardaí could enter houses if they suspect a crime is going on. Would drug use suspect not be a crime uh, if, you, if you thought somebody was using drugs and how you would know somebody was using drugs or not but th- th- that's an interesting point Liz because if, if this legisl- when this legislation is passed it will, be a, it will then be a crime because that's why you're going to get fined for, ho- for hosting a house party so can Gardaí enter if they suspect a crime, the crime being the house party so I think you've got a, you've an interesting there's a lot to be I think teased out in this before these fines will start to come into force uh, Hi, and or somebody else actually on about people breaking the rules and the regulations and you'll always have people the majority of us will abide by the restrictions that are put in place and we know why we're doing it we're doing it to protect ourselves our loved ones and the wider community Anne says I know of people who came from Dublin to visit West Cork and they said when they were stopped along the way at various checkpoints oh we're going to see a sick parent and we're you know creating a social bubble uh, probably and there wasn't any sick parents they only used it as an excuse I know somebody else that went up the country and said didn't meet any checkpoints checkpoints at all. The likes of me and others are fools going along with it. And you're not. You're absolutely not. And remember Dr. Mike Ryan of the World Health Organisation, that fantastic Irishman who is one of the heads with the World Health Organisation. I remember reading out a really good piece from him when he was saying, don't be worried what your foolish neighbours, if your neighbours want to be foolish, leave them off. Let them be fools. Let them do what they want to do. If they want to pick up COVID-19, then let them off. You just give them a wide berth. We all have to do what we need to do and we know it's the right thing to do. We mightn't be, we mightn't always like the restrictions that are put in place, but personal responsibility 
just all look after yourself Anne and don't worry about the stupid people who are deciding to travel around the country but as I say if you know of them I'd just give them a wide berth and I wouldn't be going anywhere near them Jane was on wants to know why are some farmers removing ditches Jane says they're being removed completely surely this is going to do a lot of damage to wildlife now I don't know where Jane's call is coming in from and I don't know what ditches and how many of the ditches have been removed but I assume if a farmer is doing it could it be for flooding reasons that they're doing it? I don't think a farmer would just go out and decide to remove ditches for no reason. There, there's got to be some thought pattern behind it. I would probably assume something to do with flooding or maybe something to do with road safety. There's any farmers out there can explain why a farmer would be suddenly removing a lot of ditches. 1850 on what's going on in the States with the presidential election. Pat in Mallow says, Patricia, I thought our politicians were insane, but looking at America, we seem to be kind of normal here, says uh, Pat. Christine in Cork said, on those who are bemoaning the fact that they can't go to Mass. Uh, Christine wants me to remind listeners that there is an online petition on change.org. You can log on and it's lift the ban on worship services. She's encouraging people to sign it. We actually spoke with the person who was behind setting that up a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what numbers. It was. It had very high numbers initially. I don't know where it's at now. I might check it out uh, this afternoon. But thank you for reminding us of that, Christine. And then a listener who's going forward for an operation says, Hi Patricia, I got tested for COVID-19 yesterday afternoon. Got the results this morning. Thanks be to God, it's all perfect perfect, and I'm negative. I needed to get the test because it's prior for going for an operation. I now need to isolate until after the operation at, at the weekend. But it's just showing that when the hospitals look for tests to be done and you can't go in for any kind of a procedure now, I think that's kind of standard. You have to go and have your COVID test done first days in advance of you going for the for the operation or the procedure. But the turnaround time is really quick, which which is, is great. I don't know if the turnaround time is the same in the general population when you go to get a test but with numbers falling and with less people going forward for testing the turnaround time should be quicker uh, anyway uh, Martin Infomoy good luck by the way to that listener with your operation hope everything goes well for you Martin Infomoy I heard you talk about the Covid cases in Cork I tell you, Patricia, there's a, there's secondary schools in Formoy and they get a half day every Wednesday. Yesterday, I saw bunches of teenagers hanging around Formoy, none of them wearing masks. I thought we were in lockdown. That's not a lockdown to me, says Martin in Formoy. Well, if they're outside, we still, it's not mandatory outside to wear masks. I know I've certainly noticed a lot more people are wearing masks when they're walking around the streets but that still isn't mandatory whether it will become mandatory or not I, I don't know so they're not doing anything wrong Martin and I know that they're teenagers being teenagers uh, Alice says uh, Patricia as I listened to you discuss the Covid deaths and the figures I wish to point out that since the start of this pandemic the levels of suicide in this country has soared as I look at RIP.ie you see photographs of so many young people who've succumbed uh, to this if suicide deaths were compared to Covid deaths I, Alice reckons the, num- the difference would be very little the lockdown and closure of business and facilities is having a huge knock on effect and God, Alice, so many people will agree with you on that. Mental health, that's why we're constantly trying to put out messages about promoting mental health and looking after ourselves and looking after each other and trying to check in with each other and trying to make sure that everybody is uh, OK. 1850-333-103 and just one final one on mass. Uh, we miss mass, says this texture. But if we have big bosses 
telling us where to go when we enter a church, then we're better off at home and have mass in our own uh, houses. Somebody obviously who wasn't happy with the stewards that were operating in their particular church. 1850 You can see some questions coming in from Jane Pickett, our resident vet. Keep those coming, please. You can call John Paul or Sadie or you can text on WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The Irish Cancer Society, they are still looking for volunteer drivers. It's to help transport cancer patients to and from their hospital chemotherapy treatments. Volunteers are needed right across Cork to keep this vital service running. Now the role is weekdays only and you must be able to commit a full day when driving. All drivers must have a roadworthy vehicle, an active email address and a valid driver's licence. If you're interested you can find out more details by going to the Irish Cancer Society's website www cancer.ie and Cove GAA have their online Zoom bingo next Sunday night at 8 o'clock if you'd like more details you can check out their Facebook page for further details or you can go to the diary section of the C103 website During the last lockdown I still had some great friends going into the house, it's not going to be any different this time around. Yeah like you really need the company when you're in lockdown, friends are everything. They're my friends so regardless of lockdown, isolating, distancing, whatever, like we still be spending time together. I want you closer. At a time when we all need to socially distance. People are keeping C103 really close. The power of local radio has never been more prominent. And here's the proof. 247,000 people listen to C103 and Cork's 96FM every week. Source, JLR, Ipsos, MRBI 2023. I'd be lost in the morning without Simon. Yeah, Patricia keeps me up to date with everything Cork. I want you closer. Be part of Cork's biggest social bubble. Stay listening to C103. Hashtag Choose Radio. Follow C103 on Facebook. Join us today and stay up to date with everything happening across Cork. Simply search Facebook for C103. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 Incredible story in the paper this morning that uh, it really shows a kind of a scary warning about climate change. And it's to do with two young people. Uh, from Sophie Curran and Connor McClory who discovered a time capsule while out walking on the uh, beach in Guidor in Donegal. Now at first they didn't know what it was. They actually thought it was a bomb and then they thought it was somebody's ashes. It was you know sealed you know like an urn somebody's ashes so they were a bit nervous about opening it but anyway they managed to track down from the writing on the front of it they managed to track down what it actually was and it turned out to be a Russian time capsule from 2008. So once they knew what it was, they opened it up to take a look what was inside. So inside, the usual things you'd find in in a time capsule, there was uh, letters, there was things from the ship where it had come from. There was the itinerary of the ship, for example. There was a, a menu um, and there was even corks from the wine bottle. They'd had a couple of glasses of uh, wine. Now, the fact that it had come from 
a Russian ship. Most of the letters that were contained in the time capsule were written in Russian, but there was some written in uh, English. But they managed to track down somebody who, one of the passengers, I'm assuming is one of the passengers who had written their letter in English and it was turned out to be an Instagram Instagram blogger from St. Petersburg. So they got on to that person to say, we've actually found your time capsule. And that person was really taken aback because she said that they had travelled to the 90 degree point of the North Pole. Actually, I said 2008. It was actually 2018. It was only two years ago. They got a helicopter there and they put the time capsule into the ice. So two years late, later, it means the ice had melted and this time capsule then had travelled the 400 kilometres or 4,000 kilometres in just two years. So how quickly did the ice melt which allowed the time capsule to travel 4,000 kilometres as well. Now the blogger was aboard a ship called the 50 Years of Victory. It was an, It's a nuclear-powered icebreaker which was used for tourist purposes and it has been used to travel to the North Pole since 1989. They, the blogger said that she was shocked to have heard that they found the items because they had expected when they placed the time capsule on the North Pole they thought it would take about 30 years. And actually the only one of the letters that's written in English on the capsule said that uh, everything around us here is covered in ice. By the time you read this letter, there probably will be no more ice in the Arctic. So they thought it was going to be another 30 uh, years, uh, which is proving just how quickly the ice is melting. And it really is a warning about uh, climate change. But there's a picture of the time capsule and some of the items that they found. So that's a kind of a worrying one when it comes from a climate change uh, point of view. But a good news story also from the papers, if you're involved with Tidy Towns. Uh, The Tidy Towns competition, it seems, is it's looking like it will go ahead next year. The Minister for Community, Heather Humphreys, was speaking about this yesterday. Now, concerns have been raised at the competition, which has now been running, would you believe, for more than 60 years. It, there was fears that it would be lost forever. It got cancelled this year and people were saying if it gets cancelled two years in a row, some local community groups were saying it might be very hard to resurrect the group and to keep the group going. So Heather Humphreys has come out and said, look, we're working on ways to make sure that the Tidy Towns will resume in 2021. She said, this is her speaking yesterday, she said, we look forward to next year. She said, I want to assure all the Tidy Towns groups and their volunteers that there will be a Tidy Towns competition in 2021. She said, we may need to alter and adapt our approach to delivering the competition next year, given the ongoing constraints posed by COVID but she says we can retain the ethos of the competition that has stood the test of uh, time. Now she herself had previously cast doubt when it got cancelled this year. She thought that it might go ahead uh, next year but it seems uh, one of our own uh, Labour Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock actually raised the issue and said, you know, obviously he's been involved with local tidy towns groups and he raised the issue and said, look, we need to do something about it. So Heather Humphreys came out yesterday, wanted to, to reassure there's more than 800 local tidy towns committees. And of course, there then you break the 800 tidy towns groups down to the amount of volunteers. It runs into thousands of people who act as volunteers. So she says our department is doing everything that they can to try to format the competition into such a way that, you know, 
people will still be able to gather but if restrictions are in place how are they going to do it and also because I mean I imagine the judging of it you could have people socially distance if two judges around arrive in town to do the judging they could do the social distancing quite easily but I suppose it's the actual groups of people who go out to do the clean ups they've got to make sure that they are socially distancing uh, as well and as I say there's, we've got so many fantastic Tidy Towns groups here in Cork City and uh, County and certainly they would be delighted to hear that the competition it looks like it will be going ahead next year. 1850 I can see more questions coming in for Jane our resident vet keep them coming please you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 It's huge oh, what historic champions of England Liverpool and it's here what a free kick from Kevin De Bruyne join me Trevor Welch on c103.ie as we bring you the Premier League live exclusively online go this Saturday, it's Everton versus Man United at 12.30. Crystal Palace versus Leeds United at 3. Chelsea versus Sheffield United at 5.30. And West Ham versus Fulham at 8. Go, go. Charleston, I'm ready to go. The Premier League Live Online, powered by TalkSport. Go. Listen every Saturday by downloading the C103 app or cc103.ie. Joan has contacted, contacted us. She was watching TV last night and the Tonight Show was on and uh, Leo Varadkar, the Thornista, was one of the guests. Now, Joan says, uh, I think it what Leo Varadkar did in passing the information on from the Irish Medical Organisation to the other GP union, Joan said, I know what he did was wrong, but she said, I think he genuinely did it for the right reasons. He wanted, as he explained in the doll, he wanted to do it to get all of the GPs on board to get everybody to sign up to the uh, contract so Joan says what he did w- was wrong but she has an understanding of why he did it but on the television programme last night she said they just laid into him far too much and I don't know if it was the presenter or was it other people on the panel because I didn't see it Joan said watching it she ended up actually feeling sorry for him at the end of the day he stood before the doll he admitted that what he did was wrong and then he apologised uh, for it and uh, she said we have to remember he he was outstanding back in March at the start of this pandemic and he led the country so uh, well and the country would have suffered a lot more if it wasn't for Leo Varadkar in charge and she felt very sorry for him last night. And I know when we discussed it, thank you for that Joan, I know when we discussed it on the programme yesterday uh, the amount of people that said oh, this is really a storm in, the, in a teacup with everything else that's going on in this country, they just need to move on uh, for it. So I don't know how many others watched that programme last night and like Joan felt sorry for Leo Varadkar. Thank you for your call Joan to 1850 Turning our attention to pet questions Jane Pickett of the Islandwood uh, Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group joins me uh, Good afternoon to you Jane Good afternoon Patricia, how are you doing? I'm very well and we have questions in for you. Let me get straight into them. Hi Patricia question for Jane. I have a pup nine weeks old. I was just a wee one. I've done everything, done the warming the fleas and all of that. Is there anything else that he could pass on to humans because I have him around very small children I'm just worried because obviously children love playing with a little pup. Can pups pass things on to children? They can can to a certain extent and I think it's really really responsible to think about this particularly knowing that there's kids around so I think it sounds like we've probably covered all the bases here so we've done flea and worming treatments I assume that this little puppy will have at least had a first vaccination 
So puppies, when they're quite young, from about eight weeks of age, depending on the vaccine, they need to have two vaccinations a number of weeks apart. Now, that that depends on the brand of the vaccine, the exact interval, but that protects them against lots of really dangerous diseases for them, like parvo, hepatitis, lepto. But it's really important that, particularly for human health, that all of our dogs and cats are vaccinated, uh, or that all of our dogs are vaccinated for leptospirosis, because that is something that can pass from dog to human. So that's a really quite nasty disease, which they could pick up usually out and about um, in rural areas, but it can happen anywhere. It's something that's spread by wild creatures, generally rats, um, through waterways. So let's say hot spots for lepto would be rural Ireland, particularly around us. We see little flare-ups of it every now and again. And it's very sad because it's something that's incredibly preventable with an annual vaccination um, and usually doesn't end well for the, the little dog involved. Now, the main danger to human health is that if we were around a dog that had lepto um, that wasn't vaccinated and managed to catch lepto, we can actually catch leptospirosis. And again, with us, it, it affects um, kidney, liver, um, and it's passed in, in urine and feces, essentially. So it's really important for, for everybody, not just the children's point of view, to make sure that your dogs are vaccinated um, annually and that it includes leptospirosis. And that's included in all core kind of annual vaccines that we would give dogs in this country. Now, the other really important thing if there's kids around is make sure you keep bang up to date with your worming protocol. Now, there are worms um, that dogs can get that they can be passed in, in, let's say, contact with the dog or contact with the species to humans. And particularly small children is the thing we would worry about. Now, most people say to me, sure, they're not going to go and eat their poo. But it's not as simple as that. So generally, if you imagine a dog or a cat, they'll sometimes lick their bottom, which means that, let's say, what may have been on their bottom, it will certainly be on their face. And then if that little face licks your face, yeah. you're kind of directly in contact. And even even on their coat, there's always the possibility that they may have warm eggs if they did have a worm infestation. So it's really important um, to pick up any poos that might be out in the garden, pick up any poos when you're out walking, walking about, but also to make sure they're up to date with their worming. So in a puppy, Wormers will generally be required every two weeks until they're 12 weeks of age, every month until they're six months of age, and thereafter for the rest of their life, every three months. That will be a standard, standard. And keep on top of that and you won't have a problem. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Keep on top of it and make sure. And lots of veterinary practices will run reminder systems. So if you're not already on a text reminder system, ask your local practice if they do that. Um, and you know, I know we are here. We we operate a text reminder system. Well, we'll send you a yeah, text every three months. Yeah, because you, know, you, you forget. But, and, and it's very hard to keep small children away from a little pup. Everybody loves yeah. to be around a little pup. Oh, in, so in, enjoy the pup as well. Uh, hi, Jane. I had my dog at the vet a week ago. She's been diagnosed with a tumour. My poor baby. I've noticed it's weak and it's starting to smell quite badly. Could you explain why this would be? Mm. Uh. Okay, so that, that's really sad news. Um, my heart goes out to you. They're part of the family in the end of the day and we never want to see anything bad or uncomfortable happen to them. It really depends on what type of tumour it is. So if you've been to the vet, it may be possible that they may have suggested doing some diagnostic tests to, to see exactly what kind of a, a tumour it is and, and if there is anything that can be done. With some tumours, there are some courses of action that can be taken, for example, surgery or chemotherapy. And in some other cases, that may not necessarily be appropriate. But your own vet is the best person to, to speak to about that side of it because they'll be clued into all of the facts. As regards the weeping and the smelling, some type of tumours in various parts of the body, if they're, if they're quite close to the skin or part of the skin, 
sometimes they can begin to let's say erode through the normal skin surface and that can become infected then so any kind of raw flesh is, is a right lovely warm place for bacteria to grow so that's sometimes why things can begin to weep and smell if they become infected as, as a secondary issue I think from a comfort point of view if it's beginning to weep and smell regardless of kind of let's say the, the treatment plan or the the comfort plan for your for your little dog it's important to just flag with your vet that you've noticed that this has changed that it's it's, it's weeping a little bit smelling a little bit because they may need to take action to to avoid let's say infection setting in and, and to keep your pet really really comfortable um but i i think best wishes on that front i really hope yeah, everything goes tough. well but chat, chat to your vet yeah hi really, um Hi Jane, a uh, question for you please. My cat has a polyp in his ear with a large lump behind his ear and throat. They actually now seem to be getting bigger. I did have them at the vet, but the vet said they couldn't be removed as they'll only grow back. Any advice please? Mm. Polyps are, are really, really challenging. So polyps are almost like a little kind of benign mass that grows on a stalk. It's almost like a stalk of cauliflower. Do you know what I mean? They're quite tough, rubbery things. And unfortunately, some cats can become very, very unlucky and have these grow down into their ears. And if you'd imagine, it's taking up space in the ears. So a lot of, let's say, the wax can't move to the top as it normally would. And it becomes quite a moist, hot place down that ear. So a lot of the time, little cats with polyps in their ear will have secondary infections of their ear. And these are really difficult to manage sometimes. What I would say is that some things are polyps, so they're benign and they're just getting in the way. Sometimes they can remove, be removed, sometimes they can't. However, it is important just to have in the back of our mind that there are other things that can look similar to polyps. So sometimes, let's say, a, a, a tumour or a mass can look very similar. Now, that's uncommon enough, but it, it's always possible. Um, I think if there's lumps appearing behind the ear, it, it's time to just have a chat to your vet again and say, well, you know, you've noticed that this lump or swelling has occurred behind the ear now and that's going to be causing a problem for your little cat. So I think from what you're saying, it's a really difficult situation to manage, particularly if your vet feels that they're they're not, let's say, viable polyps to remove. Um, but I do think it's it's time to flag with them that you've noticed something changed, so you've noticed that swelling behind the ear, because that may that may need to change um, what your what your vet assesses the situation as. But it's really important to keep them keep them abreast of any updates or any yeah, changes. Yeah, and, t- and take and another look. And you you yeah. you're working similar to doctors in that I assume you triage over a phone, but then when you need to see an animal, you can bring them into the surgery. Is that how you're operating? Mm, nah. As an essential service, I think there's a little bit of a variety depending on kind of the operational capacity of vets around at the moment. As an essential service, we're continuing to see pets at this moment in time, but we can't do, let's say, any of the extras that we would normally do, for example, grooming or anything like that, unless it's causing a welfare issue. So we're just trying to operate as COVID safe as we can and keep everyone safe, including our lovely team here, because as an essential service, we need to be up and running so that if an accident does happen to a pet, that we're there to help out. Yeah, and of course it's hard to it's hard to triage a pet over the phone, isn't it? You really need to see an animal. It is really, really hard. So a lot of the time we we, will have to see the pets in to to assess further. Um, But certainly, if if anybody anywhere in the country is kind of worried about their pet, um, it's best to give your vet a call and and see if they're in a position to see appointments. But certainly to get some advice initially. Okay, George has a little three-year-old terrier who's ended up very frightened after fireworks and bangers going off last week. Uh, any noise now and he runs and hides. Uh, George is wondering, will he get over it? It's even becoming a problem when they go out for a walk. He is terrified now of any loud noises. 
Yeah, this is a really difficult one. We see a big flare-up and kind of behavioural issues after the fireworks happen. And I suppose heading into the Christmas, New Year season, it only gets worse. Um, I would say it'll probably settle eventually. The important thing is to try and have a strategy to avoid this happening year on year, essentially. So some things you can do are, let's say, desensitization to a certain point. There's actually playlists on YouTube and Spotify that are kind of like uh, firework playlists. So they're just ambient noise to have on in the background. So sometimes if you're a dog or cat, you get used to these noises at progressively kind of higher volumes. Uh, when they're having a normal day and, and you're acting very normally and there's no stress and they're nice and secure in the house, that's a way of desensitizing them to a certain degree to these noises. Now, what I would say is this is not the time to do this with this little dog if they're already quite jumpy with noises. I would wait until everything calms down. But I think a long-term plan just to reduce the stress and to reduce the anxiety surrounding these kind of noises and bangers for that little dog would be a good idea. But have a chat to your vet. There are some strategies that you can use as regards, let's say, uh, hormone diffusers like Adaptil or there's plenty of other ones on the market which just, um, they kind of send out happy hormones um, similar to what the kind of pheromones that would have been excreted when that little pup was with its mum once upon a time. Um, so it's kind of a safety net. So that can work really well for some dogs and it even comes in kind of colour format so it could be something that can help when they're out and about. Works for half of dogs, for the other half it doesn't seem to do very much. I'll put my hands up and say that. It's not a, a silver bullet for every problem. But have a chat to your vet. But he will get over it, will he? Do, do they generally speak? Do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like ourselves if we get a big fright. It takes us a little yeah. bit of time sometimes, but, but we'll get there. Yeah, and we've heard more people say that fireworks were worse this year. I don't know why, but they seem to yeah. be worse this year. Maybe it's to do with lockdown. Listen, we leave it there, Jane. Have a good week. We'll chat again next you Thursday. Too. Thanks a million. That's uh, Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmark. So that's where we wrap it up for today. Thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking your calls uh, today. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you for the final one of the week tomorrow at morning at 10 o'clock. On to the line, Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon and as always, stay safe. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.